Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of hand-cooked tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Well, there's been a lot of questions about whether or not the city of Los Angeles would ever adopt the NFL. And L.A. is an interesting town. It's a lot like Miami. These towns that have gorgeous, perfect weather. A lot of different things to do. And it takes something special to make people really care in a market like that. It takes a Kobe Bryant. It takes a Dan Marino. You have to be really, really good at what you do to cut through all of the noise to convince people that they need to be paying attention to you. It ain't Buffalo. It's not Minneapolis where people are going to support you no matter what. I got a question for you. Is it crazy for me to believe, having watched three games, that Jared Goff could be special? I don't know what Sean McVay has managed to do in this first year since he has taken over for Jeff Fisher. But as I watch Jared Goff play, it's night and day this year versus last year. Last night, he went 22-28, nearly 300 yards passing, and nearly a perfect quarterback rating. Todd Gurley, obviously, when you got a quarterback who can throw the ball, is going to be a lot better in the rushing game. Multiple touchdowns for Gurley, both on the ground and in the air. And Sammy Watkins is looking like a difference maker himself. So when you put all of those three together, is it possible that what could happen in L.A. to overcome the inertia, to overcome the disinterest, to cut through the USC dominance of the city of Los Angeles 
could be having a really good quarterback, a really good running back, and a really good wide receiver. A modern-day big three in the NFL. Because right now, I tell you, last night when I was watching the Rams, I was thinking, man, this Rams team looks really good. I mean, if you had to buy stock right now based on what you've seen in either the Seahawks or, for instance, the Rams, which one would you take? I would buy stock right now in the Rams in a heartbeat. They look so much better than the Seahawks do. Now, obviously, the Seahawks have won a Super Bowl already. They've got a great quarterback. They should have won two Super Bowls. But if you had to look at the overall talent on these teams and you had to say, okay, which of these which of these teams would you rather have to root for in the next five years? To me, you may think I'm crazy, but in the NFC West, I'm telling you right now, I know, again, I'm using the, the Rams because we know the Rams have been good. But if you watch the Rams this year and you watch the uh, the Seahawks, the Rams look better. In fact... If I told you right now, who do you want to have stock in in the next five years in that entire division, the NFC West? Are you feeling good about Arizona? I'm not. Carson Palmer's riding off into the sunset. Larry Fitzgerald's basically done. They're going to have to redo that entire team. The 49ers, look, I'm sorry, 49er fans, but you knew this before the season started. You're basically in the sweepstakes to see whether or not you can get Sam Darnold. And if you don't get Sam Darnold, you're going to spend a lot of money potentially on Kirk Cousins. You don't have a quarterback. Whatever records you put up this year is fine. I will say you've been more competitive probably than people anticipated through three games. I'm not sold on the Seahawks in the future. That offense looks awful. We'll see what the Seahawks do this weekend against the Titans. But based on what I saw, not even for the next five years, if the Seahawks lose this weekend, the Rams are going to be alone in first place. Is it crazy to believe that the Rams could win the NFC West? I don't think that's crazy at all. Certainly, it would be a surprise if Arizona or San Francisco were in the running. I think they're out. So basically, what you got is a Rams against the Seahawks race. And what I have seen so far, I would rather bet on the Seahawks to win this division than I would. Sorry, I'd rather bet on the Rams to win this division than I would the Seahawks. Is that crazy? Let's bring in the crew. I'll start out in L.A. Danny G. and Justin, you guys are in L.A. Is it insanely dumb of me to say, you know what? I'm starting to believe in Jared Goff. I'm believing already. I believed already in Todd Gurley. And remember last year he was saying we had like an eighth-grade offense with Jeff Fisher. They don't look like an eighth-grade offense now. And certainly Sammy Watkins has already proven But the way that Jared Goff has played, I think he's almost, somebody can look this up, I think he's almost number one in the NFL in QBR so far this season. And he looked fantastic last night. He just looked so comfortable. Now, I know he threw the interception late against the Redskins with a chance to tie. That happens. He's a young quarterback. He's not going to be flawless. But it's literally night and day for him versus what we saw last year. When I said before the season started, Hey, guys, I believe Jared Goff might be the fourth best quarterback in L.A. I think it's possible that Sam Darnold, Jared Goff, and Phillip Rivers are all better than him. Now, I'm looking at him saying, man, this guy looks like a quarterback who could be good for years to come. Rams fans should be excited. Is that a crazy belief, Danny G? Well, it, it's not crazy, but and I'm sure this is the first time this has ever happened in your life. It might be premature, 
because, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it's too early to tell. We need to see him play like this against some better competition. Not knocking the Niners, but obviously you know where the Niners are in the food chain. Um, and I, I, I got to give uh, the coaching staff and, and the front office a lot of credit because they've put some good weapons around him all of a sudden. You remember when the Jets went to the playoffs for a couple of years with Mark Sanchez. Was it because Sanchez was so great? Or was it because the Jets were putting those weapons around him? So that's that's what it feels like right now. But you do got to give him a little bit of praise because he is definitely handling the game in year two way better than than year one. He looked like deer in the headlights last season. I, I th- is it crazy for me to say I think they're going to win the division if they keep? I mean, I think if they, I think the Rams are going to win. Look, the NFC West is not a good division. Okay, I mean, I don't think Arizona is very good. We know the 49ers are not very good. I frankly don't believe. The Seahawks are very good. I've watched their offense two straight games. We'll see. I'll watch them in person this weekend when they come to town here in Nashville where I live to play against the Titans. I think the Titans are going to win that game. I think they'll drop the Seahawks to one and two. And if that happens, look, I mean, the Rams have opened up a little bit of space very early in this season. But having watched those teams, I think the Rams can get better. I just don't buy into the fact that the Seahawks offense is going to be that good this year. And if that's the case, I think that's going to be an easy, you know, a, a legitimate race between the two, between the Rams and the Seahawks all but, year. But don't the Seahawks and the Packers have this in common? They they warm up the first half of the season. It takes them a little bit to get into a groove. So I think it's too early to count the Seahawks out of that division. Yeah, I certainly to, to count anybody out three weeks into the season is crazy. But I do think that if I had said before the season started – the Rams are going to win the NFC West. That would have been a really aggressive prediction. I don't think it's an aggressive prediction at all right now. Justin, are you buying in at these this team? And also, by the way, playing a really exciting brand of football. I've got to give credit to the NFL. We talked a lot about the fact that the NFL games had been very boring. This was an exciting game. There was a lot going on. There were a lot of downfield passing threats. There were a lot of big plays. This was what the NFL should be especially on a Thursday night when the game kicks off at 520 Pacific and hardly anybody can get there for the start. It would have been very easy for this game to for the teams to go through the motions and feed off the lack of energy that existed there in the stadium. Instead, short week, no crowd, early kickoff on the West Coast, all the recipes for a really boring football game were in place from a structural perspective, and both these teams came out and gave us a show. And I think they deserve some credit for that. But, Justin, is it crazy to believe that certainly the the, the, the Rams could contend this year for the NFC West? No, I, I don't think you're crazy at all. I was actually – I was I was watching the game at home with a, with a buddy of mine, and, and I, I said the same thing. I'm watching it, and I'm like, man, you know what? Goff might be legit. And, you know, to Danny's point, yeah, he, he's feasted on some uh, not great opponents. But to, to, to Goff's credit – Last year, it didn't matter who the opponent was. He looked like crap. So, I mean, this year, just everything that he's he's doing looks so much better than than anything from last year. So it's definitely an improvement. And I think, I mean, I I think the coaching has something to do with it. Uh, let's bring in Jason Martin. Jason Martin, crazy to say that the Rams could win the NFC West. No, it's not crazy. A couple of things that I looked at. Actually, before the season, when I was trying to project whether or not Jared Goff might have a good sophomore season is, there are a lot of really good quarterbacks in NFL history that had terrible rookie years that turned out to be Hall of Fame-level players. And I'm talking big names. Peyton Manning had three wins as a rookie, led the league as a rookie with 28 interceptions. 
Troy Aikman, nine touchdowns, 18 interceptions. Terry Bradshaw, six touchdowns, 24 interceptions, 38% completion percentage. Eli Manning came in. That team actually had a winning record when he came into the lineup, and then he only won two games for him when he came in, threw nine picks to six touchdowns and had a 55 passer rating. There are many examples, of, and that's just a few. I found more than that. But there are many examples of quarterbacks that began to flourish after a bad first year because a lot of these players had bad teams around them. The Rams were a bad team. They were a toxic organization last year. There was all sorts of of, uh, upheaval, and you know better than anybody, Clay, Jeff Fisher's not that good a a football coach, and he hasn't proven that in a long time. So you bring in a new face, a young guy, somebody that's exciting, that's bringing an offensive brand of football. You make a couple of moves in free agency, Gurley, who you know didn't play all that well last year, all of a sudden he's got a little bit of help. There's a little bit of pizzazz around this team, and Jared Goff starts to look like you know what? Maybe he was a first round draft pick all all along. You know that's very early, and they beat the Colts, who are probably the worst team in the league, and now they've beaten the Niners, who we know are not very good. But just based on where the Rams have been over the last few years, if you're a Rams fan today, you have to feel pretty good about what's going on. Am I going to pick them to beat Seattle in that division? I don't know. i got to see more from, from everybody involved. But to say that you're outlandish or if what you're saying is wrong about the Rams, no, not at all. I mean, they've shown enough so far to say, you know what, they're probably going to be at least contending for that division if anybody is with the Seahawks. I think what this also represents, and you just hit on it, is the, the swing that can happen when you bring in a guy with a good offensive system. Because Jeff Fisher's offense has always been very almost antediluvian, right? Like he's going to pound the rock. He's going to occasionally on third and eight throw, you know, like a 12-yard crossing route. Like there's nothing exciting about what Jeff Fisher was doing on the offensive side of the ball, such that that first year Todd Gurley can come out, catch fire, win the rookie of the year. That second year people look at that offense and say, hey, unless they have a really good quarterback who can convert on third down. I watched Jeff Fisher offenses for years and years and years. There wasn't a lot of pizzazz, not a lot of excitement, as you said, to it. And then you bring in Sean McVay, and you basically just totally toss out everything that happened last year, and they're playing an exciting brand of football. You're right. It's worth pointing out that they beat the Colts, who may be the worst team in football, and they beat the 49ers, who may be the second worst team in football. But they were so bad last year, they wouldn't have pulled off either. And they were competitive uh, and and could have or potentially should have won that game against the Redskins. So as you come into week four now in the NFL, almost a quarter of the way through the season for them, they get a long week, they're two and one, and they get to sit back and and wait and see what uh, might happen. They've got uh, a couple of uh, – a nice division win there. So – uh, I, I got to give credit to the Rams. Tremendous improvement. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Last night, new big three potentially for the L.A. Rams, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, and Sammy Watkins, as well as their new coach, Sean McVay. Is it way too early to say? It reminds me of the Dallas Cowboys in the early 90s. Sean McVay, the young Jimmy Johnson-like coach. Jared Goff is Troy Aikman, Todd Gurley is Emmett Smith, Sammy Watkins is Michael Irvin, probably. But if you're waking up this morning in the city of Los Angeles, maybe you've got something a little bit to root for there. Um, we have been talking about what I think is going to be and will be continuing a big story 
in the NFL, maybe the biggest story associated with football, and that is CTE. And CTE now connected to Aaron Hernandez, who committed suicide earlier this year. And I, we got blown up with all sorts of different reactions. Uh, Frank sends an email that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, he says, uh, head trauma might be a cause, but science may need to examine the cocaine, marijuana, alcohol, and other recreational drug use that is prevalent in the league. And also, the long-term use of HGH, testosterone, and other anabolic steroids hasn't been studied due to the illicit nature of their use. Uh, it's actually a really interesting, uh, interesting point. He also says that doesn't even begin to consider clomid, insulin, nuvigil, amphetamines, EPO, blood doping, and numerous other masking agents. It's a great point. I would like to know. One of the things that has been really difficult is figuring out what CTE does to the brains of NFL players and why it does it to the players that have the issues, right? It's clear that there are lots of guys who play football in the NFL for years. They finish and their careers are over and they don't have the long-term brain impact that CTE delivers to many other players. So could there be an element of CTE that gets worse if you are using illicit drugs? I mean, we know that Aaron Hernandez was using a lot of illicit drugs. Is there something with using those drugs that makes your brain more vulnerable to CTE? Could it also have an acting uh, impact when it comes to steroids or HGH use? It's a really smart question to ask. Is it possible that one reason why you have those issues is because of the fact that you've been using other illicit substances, which makes your brain more vulnerable to CTE? That's a great question. We know that Aaron Hernandez was using a lot of different drugs and uh, more significant drugs than marijuana. Now, some people might say, well, one reason he's using those drugs is because his brain function wasn't as good. And this helped to cover up the fact that his brain was not working as well. Just like people who frequently have psychological issues frequently have substance abuse issues as well. One of the reasons why you might have uh, substance abuse issues is because you're trying to self-medicate and treat yourself with alcohol and drugs to make yourself feel more normal. I'm not a doctor, but I know that that often goes hand in hand. It's a really good question. I think that CTE needs to be studied more aggressively than it does, and also than it is. Also, it would be great if there were some way to diagnose CTE before someone dies. Got a lot of calls on this. Let's go to uh, Joe in Syracuse. Joe, what's up? Hey, what's going on, man? Listen, I um, I don't know. I I think the risk reward comes from really where you, I, I guess, where you're from. You know, a lot of the a lot of the well-to-do, they're very well-to-do guys that go into the to the NFL without the need necessarily of yeah. money. It's the drive. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of where the bulk of the individuals coming from, you know, the African-American side of the, the league, they come, a lot of them come from menial means. So to live like, what would you give to live like a team for a short period of time? You know what I'm saying? Even even at the risk of, of saying things will be different with you as an older man, so what? I was young, I was, I was virile, I'm, I'm able to do what I want to do. I was I was able to live. I wasn't just existing. 
You know, no, it, it's a, it's a, it's a great it's a great call, Joe. I appreciate that. I mean, that is one of the challenges, right? That that's why boxing primarily has become a sport of almost exclusively the poor, the immigrant, the underclass, because your average middle class person is not going to put their son into a boxing ring and let him get hit in the head over and over again. And that's why my argument has been the first place that football's going to get really significantly impacted by CTE, in my opinion, is going to be the quarterback position. Because, and I made this argument, I've made it for a while, if you look at the quarterback position, by and large quarterbacks come out of dual family, dual parent households, dual income households, middle class homes, where you have two parents at home, where you go look at the backgrounds of quarterbacks. Almost all of those guys would have gone to college even if they didn't play football. Football wasn't their path from an underclass into making money. Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson. You look at successful quarterbacks in the NFL, almost all dual parent homes, almost all, a lot of times the parents went to college. Almost all the time the kids would have gone to college even if they weren't getting a scholarship to play football. And so to me, CTE's biggest threat outside of the obviously ravages that it can cause on individual players, is that it's going to take away the Mannings of the world. Olivia Manning, 20 years from now, might say, you know what, it's not worth Peyton and Eli playing football. Imagine if you took away the top 12 NFL quarterbacks, how awful this overall product would be. I don't think CTE is going to impact the overall quality of of linebackers in the NFL. I don't think it's going to impact the overall quality of offensive tackles in the NFL. In fact, if you took away the top 12 at those positions, most of us wouldn't even notice that they had happened. But if they take them away at the NFL at the quarterback position, if those kids grow up and decide to play soccer instead or baseball instead, basketball, other sports, where they're not going to have the same physical concerns, NFL's in real trouble. Nathan in Kentucky. What's up, Nathan? I appreciate you taking my call, man. Really do. Uh, what I was going to say is, like, they'll have to figure out some way college-wise to, like, make sure these, you know, reassure these kids that they're going to be okay. But when it comes down to the NFL part, like Richard Sherman talking about the money, I think you're going to see a lot of, like, Players Union and everybody, they're going to want more guaranteed money on these contracts because they're going to be like, well, we're taking this risk, and now you all are seeing what the CTE can cause. We want guaranteed contracts now. We want more money. We want our money to be guaranteed with these injuries. Yeah, I mean, I understand the argument for guaranteed contracts. I don't know how that changes anything with CTE. And remember, right now, the players' unions are already sharing in the pie. So if you take guaranteed money, that's just taking money out of other players' pockets. That's why it doesn't really – the guaranteed money argument, like the the salaries are not going to go up any higher because we already have a structure in place where NFL players get a certain percentage of the revenue that's produced by the league. So suddenly giving guaranteed contracts just means that the money's going to get distributed in a different way. Does that make make sense? uh, Like there's not more money. The guaranteed contracts, maybe guys feel more comfortable sitting out when they're injured. Maybe that – I just don't see how there's much connected between the two, right? I mean, I think, again, to me, the challenge here, 
and I'm curious if you guys agree with me. I'll, I'll bring in the crew. To me, there's a difference between a grown man making a decision that he's willing to take that risk health-wise of CTE in order to make the money that he makes in the NFL versus a kid getting a scholarship when his football career, most football careers end in college, right? The vast majority of scholarship athletes in college don't get to advance and play in the NFL. And so I feel different about an 18-year-old getting a college scholarship and permanently altering his brain function for life than I do an NFL player making that same decision. It's easy for me to say, not easy, but I can at least say, okay, I'm willing to allow that guy to assume the risk because we let people do dangerous things in their lives, right? There are lots of people out there doing a lot of dangerous jobs. We let 18-year-olds walk around with guns in Afghanistan and get paid a lot less money than an NFL player would. But to me, it's tough to reconcile, oh, you get a scholarship to go to college, and in exchange, you're giving up your brain function. That's tough to me. I don't think you can – I'm not comfortable with that trade being made, especially when it's a trade being made by a 17- or an 18-year-old. That's a level of risk that I don't feel comfortable with them endorsing. Does that make sense, Jason Martin, to you? Like the difference between – a grown man deciding, you know what, I'll risk my future health in order to make a lot of money right now in the NFL versus a 17-year-old saying, oh, I'm pretty good at football. It's because it's like you're giving them an education while at the same time ensuring that their brain doesn't function well enough to take advantage of that education. It seems like a really bad move. So to me, that's a trade that's scary to me in college football a lot more than it is the NFL. I agree. I mean, I think you're making a very valid point, but what's the answer? Like, what's the solution to that problem? Well, the solution That's, for a lot of parents is going to be my kid's not going to play football. Right? So, because well, you well, I know, meant like on a bigger level. Like, yeah, individual parents. Like, we talked about that before, and you made that very astute point about how quarterbacks are likely the first ones to go. You talked about it again yesterday, but we've mentioned it three or four times throughout the course of this show over the last year. But on a more institutional level, on a systemic level, what is the response? Like, how does football combat that? There seems to be almost no way. Well, the challenge is unlike a broken arm where if somebody's arm gets broken, you can be like, okay, his arm's broken. You know, like you don't know when someone is susceptible to CTE. In an ideal universe, you would be able to analyze somebody's biomechanical makeup. You'd be able to do a brain scan before they start playing football and say, hey, you shouldn't play football because your brain, your body type, is particularly susceptible to CTE, right? I think there's probably some truth to that. And for people out there like, oh, you're crazy. Like, everybody has different body types, right? And so some people are more susceptible to injury than others. And in an ideal universe, I think what you would be able to do is figure out who the most susceptible people are and not ever allow them to pursue football. That, that, that to me, and I don't know, is it 20% of people is it 25% of people who just have particular brain types and particular skull types that they are going to be more susceptible to get CTE? Is there a way to diagnose susceptibility? In the same way that nowadays we can look uh, a lot of times when you do a, uh, you know, when you do like a DNA analysis or whatever, they're getting to the point where they can say, hey, you have a greater chance of getting breast cancer genetically, right? That's, that's possible to do now. They can say, it can't tell you for sure, but they can say, hey, you have like a, a high percentage chance of getting 
breast cancer, you should be particularly aware of any possibilities that you might have an issue. I would like, and and that solution may be 50 years from now. It may be 100 years from now. It may be something that is not even ever going to be capable of diagnosing, but that's where I wish we could go back in time. Okay, let's look at those 100 guys. Let's look at those 100 guys who have CTE now, and maybe the, like, this may be crazy. People may not like this idea, but what about when you get to the NFL if everybody goes in for brain scans? And then at the end of your NFL career, you go back in for another brain scan and they're able to look at some of these people and start to decide, okay, what was it in their brain scan that they had when they were 22 entering the league that by the time they were 42, they had CTE? Is there something we can see in these brain scans to make it clear to us who the people were who were particularly susceptible? And again, I don't know that that will ever be possible, but I think being able to tell people who is at risk in a substantial level, because I'll tell you this, there was a, there's a good book. Uh, I'm reading uh, Stephen Ambrose's book about D-Day. Um, and those kids uh, who were 18 years old that were on those boats landing on the beaches of Normandy, and I told you guys about my vacation this past year, getting to go there and walk on those beaches and how remarkable it was. They told all the kids as they got ready, and I say kids because, I mean, a lot of these guys were 18 and 19 years old. They said, you know, that they were talking about the casualty rate. And they said, you know, two out of three of you guys are going to get hit as you come off the boats. And they said what was remarkable about that when you're 18 or 19 years old, they had a quote from a guy, and he said he was sitting between two people, and he looked to his left and his right, and he said, boy, you guys are screwed. And what I mean by that is probability when you're a young man does not impact you, right? I've used this analogy before, but no women out there hardly ever – is their final two words, watch this. Everybody who has ever been a 16, 17, or 18-year-old male knows how stupid of people we were and often are, all the way up through college, all the way really up through your 20s. The male decision-making process when you are young incredibly favors risk-taking. We make really bad decisions as a group. Right, And every guy listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you have sons, it's what sometimes will leave you up at night because you'll be like, that kid is going to be so dumb when he's 16 years old. And 16-year-old boys think that they're like the smartest people on the face of the planet. There has rarely, if ever, been a greater disconnect between actual intelligence and the intelligence that a 16-year-old boy actually thinks he has. The reason why I'm using that as an example is hearing that there's a danger, everybody thinks it's not going to be them. So just like that 18-year-old kid who's going to be uh, landing on the beaches of Normandy hears that the casualty rate is going to be two out of three and immediately looks to his right and his left and says, you know what, you poor bastards, you're going to get shot. He assumes that it's not going to be him. Everybody who plays football assumes that it's not going to be them. So that's where, man, it's just... I don't know what the easy answer is, but I do know that I would like to have more information so that intelligent people can make rational decisions. And I think that I'm right here when I say that I feel like there's difference between a grown man deciding that he's willing to put his body on the line to play in the NFL and a 17-year-old deciding, this is awesome, I get a scholarship to go play football and I get to get my education, 
and at the same time that you're trying to fill this kid's brain with education in exchange for allowing him to play football, his brain is becoming forever damaged such that he could never take advantage of that education. Because then effectively what you're getting is nothing. It's not a bargain for exchange at all. And again, I don't know how you figure this out, but the scary thing about Aaron Hernandez is he only played high-level football for six years. He played three years at Florida, and he played three years at the Patriots, and he had the brain function of a 67-year-old man. Now, I'm not saying that the reason why Aaron Hernandez did what he did was CTE, although I do think that lawyers are going to use this as a defense in the years ahead. Because if you're a football player and you're accused of a serious crime, whether you have CTE or not, it's a it's a defense that I think a jury could buy into that you didn't have the requisite cognitive function to make the decision. There's a, there's two parts of a crime usually. There's the actus rea, that's the act itself, and there's the mens rea, that's the intent. If your brain is not working well enough to form the intent, the mens rea aspect of the crime then you can't be found responsible for the crime. And I definitely think that's going to be a defense that a smart defense attorney is going to apply in the years ahead when one of his clients is an NFL player or a famous college player and they have done something or been accused of doing something wrong. But Aaron Hernandez is only 27 years old and he has the brain function of a 67-year-old man. Well, I don't think it's crazy to believe that a lot of those injuries could have happened when he was at the University of Florida before he ever got to the NFL and played with the Patriots, before he ever made a lot of money to be an NFL player. Now, emailer raises a really good question. Did Aaron Hernandez's use of hard drugs render his brain more more vulnerable? Did his use potentially of anabolic steroids or HGH also leave his brain more vulnerable? That wouldn't be a huge shock, right? We don't have that that information. But is it possible that when you're putting those drugs into your body, it leaves your brain less protected. I don't think that would be a shocking result, right? I, I don't think that would be a stunning result, but we just don't have that information. And let's be honest, the number of guys out there playing high-level football that are using HGH or steroids is really high. It's insanely high. And we know that the, the marijuana smoking rate is insanely high in the NFL. What if there's a connection between marijuana smoking and creating the possibility for there to be greater brain damage in CTE cases. I Again, I think we need more information here, but to me, what I come back to again and again is I'm fine with adults making the decision that they want to take the risk to their bodies on for the millions of dollars they're going to make in the NFL. I'm not on the same level when it comes to college kids doing that for a scholarship. And if we are finding out that CTE is just as prevalent among college football players, potentially, as it is among NFL players, I think that's a hard bridge to cross for me in particular. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Can we cue it all up? Guess there we go. Back. It's time. A.K.A. Mr. Make It Rain on him. For Clay Travis to make us rich. I'm rich. Including the legendary, famous, well-known talk of the town, most celebrated. I'd buy that for a dollar. Blood. Bank. Guaranteed. All right, get your pencils ready. We are going to go 12-0 and 0 here. We are at 60% so far on the year through three weeks. 
So we're making people money, but we're going to go 12-0 and here and make people a lot more money. Florida is playing Kentucky. Kentucky has lost 30 straight years to the Gators. Unbelievable string of futility. I am telling you right now, it's coming to a close. They are going to party like it's 1986 in Lexington, Kentucky. The streak is dying, baby. Last 31 years, the Kentucky Wildcats are going to be 1-30. in It's going to change. Also, I love the under here. Felipe Franks can't throw the ball except when he's playing against the Butch Jones defense. No doubt, play the under and take the Wildcats to win this game. Penn State at Iowa. Do you remember last time what happened when Iowa played a top-five opponent on the road? Iowa ruined Michigan's season last year. I don't think that Penn State's going to lose to Iowa, but I think nearly two touchdowns is way too much. Penn State wins by 10 or less. Take Iowa, the Hawkeyes, at home against Penn State. Mississippi State on the road at Georgia. That line right around five and a half, six points. Take the fighting Dan Mullins here. I'm telling you, Nick Fitzgerald, best quarterback in the SEC, sort of on the outskirts of the Heisman race looking in. I believe Dan Mullen goes on the road, keeps this game close. Six is way too many in this game between Mississippi State and Georgia. Michigan at Purdue. You've heard me talk some about Jeff Brom. You've heard me talk about believing in Jeff Brom. You've heard me say, man, you know what? In general, I've got some faith that Jeff Brom can get this thing done. Michigan now is a 10-point favorite. I don't have any faith at all in the Michigan quarterback position. I don't believe that Michigan's going to play very well in this road game. Michigan, frankly, hasn't played very well offensively all year. I think that's going to continue. I'm telling you, Purdue plus 10, they keep it close within a touchdown. West Virginia on the road against Kansas. West Virginia is winning by three touchdowns or more. This is going to be a bloodbath. Here's a crazy thing. Kansas can't score. And right now, West Virginia is averaging around 47 points a game. Kansas gave up 45 to Central Michigan and 42 to Ohio in the past two weeks. They're definitely giving up 50 to West Virginia. Look out, Dana Holgerson's team is going to rain down a boatload of points. It's my blood bank guarantee. If you don't know what the blood bank guarantee is, boys and girls, that's when you need to go straight to the blood bank. You need to roll up your sleeve. You need to let them get out the needle. They put it right into your arm, and you sell as many platelets as you can, and you take all the money you got from the blood bank, and you put it on this team. This week's blood bank guarantee, West Virginia. Auburn at Missouri. You know what's crazy about this? Missouri has been awful. They lost 35-3 to to Jeff Brom and Purdue last weekend. But Auburn's offense has also been awful. Auburn shouldn't be getting 18.5 or 19 points against air right now. Therefore, I think Missouri comes out at home, plays decently, and keeps this game within 19 points. Old Dominion at Virginia Tech. Old Dominion gave up 53 last week to UNC. Virginia Tech scored 64 last week against East Carolina. I'm not a math expert, but I feel pretty good about West Virginia Tech, minus 25. And then a couple more games. We're going 12-0. Alabama at Vandy. A little bit nervous about this one because I'm taking Derek Mason and the Commodores against Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. 19 points is too many. I also like the under. 
I love this Vanderbilt defense. They've only given up 13 points so far this year. I don't think that Alabama is going to have a lot of success against this defense. I don't think the Tide will score 30 points. In fact, I think Alabama will score 24. I think that Vanderbilt will score 7. That is 24 to 7. That is only 31 points. That's well under the number here, which is 43. And it's also well inside the number of 19. Take Vanderbilt plus 19 and the under 44 and a half. And a couple more for you here. Oklahoma's going on the road against Baylor. Baylor is 0-3. Oklahoma is raining down points on everybody. I don't think Baylor will score hardly at all on Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma will score 45 or more. Love the cover here for the Sooners. And finally... Texas A&M and Arkansas in the coach who loses goes home bowl. I like the under. When two coaches are nervous about what exactly is going to happen in a game, the two teams are relatively evenly matched. A lot of times the coaches don't take a risk. And so I believe Texas A&M and Arkansas, the under 56 and a half is the play. There you go, boys and girls. 12 winners. We're 12 and 0. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Speaking of details, let's go ahead and find out why you hate me. Play the music. Really? Clay Travis is going to run for the Tennessee Senate. Well, get your head out of your ass, Clay. It's not going to happen. You'll get four votes. From four piddly just like yourself, and that's it. I think I'd win. Let's keep moving. I have zero doubt that I'm going to win. Hey, Clay, get ready to be betted for your Senate run. And Bama fan, betting doesn't mean opening the bathroom door in your trailer while dropping a deuce after eating at Danny G's Meemaw's Waffle House. Dang, that waffles was good. They taste just like I goes. And Bama fan, you don't have many IQ points, and you have even less teeth. Justin, you know what? You have something in common with Bama fans. You both think Wendy's is fine dining. Hey, Irma, it's our 50th anniversary. I'm taking you to Wendy's. Maybe we'll see that liar, liar kid again. This time he better not forget my Frosty. And, Clay, in the Senate, the next Supreme Court nominee, ask if they use butt wipes and like boobs. Peace. Racist. It's not a bad call. Not a bad call at all. Let's keep rolling. Well, I'm just sitting here listening to the podcast. I stopped right in the middle of it to make this call. Jason Martin, you are the biggest liar and completely full of s*** I have ever seen in my life. This voicemail will never make the air, but give me a break. If Donald Trump gave you $500,000 and a free apartment in one of his badass buildings, you absolutely 110% would have voted for him. You're a complete liar. You're full of And that just invalidated everything you've ever said on the show because it's just the most ridiculous thing ever. I mean, once that money hits your bank account and the badass apartment 3,000 square foot he gave you, you know damn well you would have voted for him. So stop trying to fool everybody. Oh, I'm so ethical in my morals. Here's me on my moral high ground. Whatever, dude. Take a walk with your lying ass. Over and out. You know what? I actually would trust Jason Martin less. Like, people who do make decisions like that, look, if somebody's going to give you $500,000 in an awesome apartment, you should vote for them for president. If you wouldn't, I actually trust you less. Keep it rolling. Jason Martin. 
you. I am appalled by your unloyalty to the man Amen. who ransomed you from your parents' basement. <laughs> He's dropped half of you, in fact, and you won't even commit your vote to the man who employs you. How dare you publicly besmirch him like that? And you thought you would, were just going to get scot-free and not get hate mail from it. No. The Outkick Nation, with the tip of the spear, and we're giving you the tip. Just for a second, just see how it feels. Now show some respect to your boss, and know your role, shut your damn mouth, and just be grateful you're not fired by now. And, oh, CNN, f*** you too. Clay, isn't it the responsibility of CNN's producer or whoever invites you to do background check to see with what you say? It's like if the idiot Jason Martin lets me on the line and says, hey, I say this a lot, da-da-da-da-da, and that's beyond, and I say it, you can't then go ahead and get mad at me when Jason Martin's job is to f***ing edit it. So it should be really the editor's job to make sure they don't invite you on because it's a known fact. Your two catchphrases are DBAP, don't be a pussy willow, and B, your two favorite things are the First Amendment and boobs. So f*** you, CNN, and even more f*** you, Jason Martin. Oh, and f*** you, Maximus, or Max, from Liar Liar, you bitch, I hate you. <laughs> I will say, I will say, I do think the CNN producers do bear some blame there. I, I went on and did exactly what I do. Like, how is it my fault that I went on and said what I say? Like, that's on them. Don't bring me on if you don't want me to be me. Like, that, that seemed like, no, hardly anybody's pointed that out. But, like, I didn't say anything that I haven't said a thousand times before. That is on them. Let's keep it rolling. Vote for Clay Travis, the man with the best man boobs. This ad was played for by the DPAP, Political Action Committee. It is My man boobs keep me humble. If I had perfect pectoral muscles, I'd be insufferable. I'd be cocky. I'd be arrogant. My man boobs make me human. That's why people love me. If I had perfect chest, nobody would ever talk to me because I'd be too cocky. I'd be way too caught up in my own greatness. Man boobs are important. That's what God gave me to remind me that I'm still human. Otherwise, I'd be insufferable. Hey, Christina Clay, would really I don't know hate what me the then. topic of discussion is today, but Butch Jones is still a f- <laughs> Poor Butch Jones. Going to be up in Knoxville for his last stand on September 30th against uh, Georgia when the Bulldogs roll into town and beat that Tennessee ass. All right, what else we got? I figured I'd give you guys a call and just uh, vent a little bit. My wife wanted me to take her to Disney World, but like any great husband, I figured Texas was playing USC. Why not take her to L.A.? Let's go to Disneyland instead. That way I can catch the game. Worst place in the world. Justin Cooper, Kenny G, you bunch of I don't know why you live here. Literally, I drive down the road maybe a mile. Oh, yeah, might as well just take two hours to drive down the road. Put on a stupid-ass Justin Cooper failed childhood actor movie in the time that it would take me to drive from here to there. It is ridiculous. Disney World just completely dunks on Disneyland. In and out, all right, that kind of saves it a little bit. Texas came out there, should have won the game. USC, you guys too. I understand why you live in Tennessee and not L.A., Clay. J-Mart, yeah, you probably only live in Tennessee for the all-you-can-eat Shoney buffet, but that's a whole other topic. Thanks, guys. I got to say, he is right about Disney World dunking on Disneyland. 
anybody who goes to Disneyland instead of Disney World should be beaten to within an inch of their life for making awful decisions. Disney World, just Scottie Pippen right on Patrick Ewing, all balls in the face, no comparison between Disney World and Disneyland. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 